Shalom and welcome to Think Jewish. Today we will be focusing on the holiday of Hanukkah. Often the secrets are hidden in the subtleties of the precise wordings of our prayer. So it is with the many secrets of Hanukkah that can be found in the precise wordings of our Hanukkah prayer called the Al Hanisim. And I quote, and we thank you for the miracles, for the redemption of the mighty deeds in those days at this time. In the days of Matityahu, the son of Yohanan, the high priest, the Hashminoam and his sons, you waged their battles. End quote. These words can be translated to mean one of two things. A that God waged a war to protect the Jewish people. The words you waged their battles means that God waged a battle for the Jewish people. Or B, God waged the war that the Jewish people were supposed to wage. You waged their battles, meaning their obligatory battles that they did not wage. The first interpretation carries the simple meaning of the Hanukkah miracle, while the latter interpretation carries the secret meaning of the Hanukkah miracle. President George W. Bush used the term axis of evil in his State of the Union address on January 29, 2002, and often repeated it throughout his presidency to describe governments that he accused of helping terrorism. Helping terrorism comes in a direct manner and in an indirect manner. The direct manner would be to provide a haven for the terrorist or to supply them with ammunition and so on. An indirect help can be well defined by a quote that President John F. Kennedy attributed to British philosopher Edmund Burke. Quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing, end quote. President George W. Bush defined it as, quote, you are either a friend or a foe, end quote. Hasidus takes the definition of axis of evil to a higher and more internal level. The purpose of creation brought about through the fulfillment of the Torah and her commandments are defined as, quote, to make an abode for him, blessed be he, in the nether, meaning lowest, world. End quote. This is accomplished through two distinct jobs. First, the abode, the home, the palace that we are building for God, must be cleansed of all debris and filth. And then it must be furnished adequately for the one who is to live in it. The greater the one who is to live in it is, the more careful we must be in the cleansing and in the furniture we adorn the abode with. In our case, we are preparing it for the king of all kings, God. These two distinct jobs are defined by the two distinct categories of commandments. The first category of the 613 commandments is the 365 prohibitions 
which cleanse out the filth. The second category of the 613 commandments is the 248 positive commandments by which we transform physical objects into holy articles with which we serve God. In the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, evil is seen as a living organism created by God, which nurtures, as all creations do, from God's divinity. However, God set up creation that evil would nurture only from the exterior finite light of divinity, thus keeping it within a defined and limited capacity of existence. Evil was created by God for an exterior purpose, meaning that evil exists so that the people can grow from overcoming it. Thus, it nurtures from the exterior finite light, known in the world of Kabbalah as the exterior supernal will, in which it exists not for itself, but to serve a purpose in others. Namely, with evil, it serves the purpose of growth in people. The Jew, on the other hand, is a creature of the internal supernal will, as he is the, quote, apple of God's eye, end quote. When a true Jew transgresses and commits a sin, evil then nurtures from a divinity force not intended to nurture evil. Evil, through the Jew, now nurtures from the internal infinite light. The nurturing, this nurturing of evil from a Jew's internal infinite light is called in the mystical teachings of Kabbalah, Yenikat Hachitzonim, the nurturing of the external forces, meaning evil. When the Jew is faced with the temptation of evil and he abstains, adhering to the prohibition of the Torah, he prunes and cuts down the living organism called evil. This is the job we mentioned before in creating an abode for God, to first cleanse the filth from the palace. Now, let us see how Kabbalah and Hasidus define axis of evil. The first and simple definition is the Jew who transgresses and commits a sin. Through committing the sin, the Jew has equipped evil with the energy of mass weapons of destruction. The evil is now nurturing from the internal infinite will. However, sinning is not the only form of helping evil and becoming of the axis of evil. Being sympathetic to evil is being supportive to evil. While the commandment to, quote, turn away from evil, end quote, carries the directive to push away evil by abstaining from it, this is not the full measure of the verse, turn away from evil. It entails to abhor evil and to be utterly disgusted by evil. Anything less than total animosity and total disgust with evil already breeds an attraction to evil, through which evil begins to set its fangs into the bloodline of the individual, nurturing from the Jew's internal 
infinite light. I do want to make note here. When we speak about animosity and disgust of evil, we are not talking of a person. We are talking of the evil. We separate the sin from the sinner. Now let's get back to what we're talking about. Thus, in the mystical level of Kabbalah and Hasidus, axis of evil is not defined just whether we are helping evil or even abstaining in the war against evil. Axis of evil in the mystical teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus is defined within the heart of the individual. Whether he has developed within himself a total animosity and a total disgust towards evil. This abhorrence and disgust towards evil is the obligatory battle of the Jewish people. Now we understand what it means according to the second interpretation. And he waged their battles. God waged the obligatory battle of the Jewish people which is to develop within themselves an abhorrence and disgust towards evil to totally cut down and cleanse the filth of evil from this world. How does one practically wage this battle against evil? How does one bring the battle into the inner emotions of the heart? Abstinence of evil is just a prerequisite for this battle. What and how do we actually wage the battle? One process prescribed is that a person cannot truly love his father and simultaneously love an individual who is committed to hating his father and to waging war against his father at every possible opportunity. Thus, the process of waging the war against the battle to create an animosity and disgust for evil is to strengthen one's love to God and through this he will abhor and be disgusted by evil which wages war against God's will at every possible opportunity. Aside from this, our sages have also prescribed to set aside time and meditate upon what evil truly is in its full ugliness and evilness. Not to sugarcoat evil with political correctness, openness, and an all-loving kumbaya attitude. Rather, to rip down all the charades and masks and to identify evil for what it truly is. Evil is an enemy of life. Evil is an enemy of goodness. And evil is an enemy of peace and tranquility. Evil is the enemy of God's will. To truly and clearly see evil for what it is allows us to fully despise and to be fully disgusted with evil. This is how we completely remove any faucet within our being from which evil could even potentially nurture. In other words, the battle that we are obliged to wage is not just against actual evil, but even against the capacity of potential evil. This is accomplished by creating, maintaining, and fanning an animosity and disgust towards the very notion of evil. The palace that is clean enough for God is not the palace that has no filth, 
but the palace that has not even the possibility of becoming filthy, for the capacity of potential filth has been eradicated. This is the battle that we must wage. The secret of the miracle of Hanukkah is that the Jewish people were affected by the exile of the Greeks and a large number became Hellenists embracing the Greek culture as their own. Even those who wouldn't embrace the Greek culture, however, they were weakened by their state of exile and could not abhor nor be disgusted by the pagan and self-glorification culture that had invaded their land. Thus, the Jewish people were not waging their obligatory battle. The miracle was that God waged their obligatory battle for them. This rabbinical commandment of Hanukkah that came out of this miracle reflects the miracle as we just explained it and opens the gateway for us to take the miracle to the next level. The story of Hanukkah happened long after Moses finished the five books of Moses. Thus, obviously, the commandment of kindling the Hanukkah menorah is a rabbinical commandment and not a biblical commandment. As mentioned earlier, the 248 positive commandments that engage and transform the physical only deal with the kosher and the neutral, but not with the impure and the non-kosher. The 365 prohibitions that do deal with the non-kosher and the impure only cut it down by commanding abstinence, but do not transform the evil, the impure, and the non-kosher. Torah study, not the performance of the commandments, but the Torah study engages with the laws and properties of the impure and not kosher. And though it does eradicate it spiritually, but Torah study does not engage with the actual physical object of evil and mass destruction. The power of the commandment of kindling the Hanukkah menorah is that it engages with the impure physical object and transforms it. This is the direct outcome of God's miracle of waging our battle against the very capacity of a potential for evil. Then we can actually transform the evil. How do we transform it? Let's see. The law of kindling the Hanukkah and the menorah is that it is to be lit after dark on the left side of the doorpost and on the outside. All these laws imply that we are engaging with the other side, the dark side of impurity and non-kosher. What are we engaging to do? To bring light into the darkness and to transform the very darkness, the left side and the outside, into light. Thus the mitzvah of Hanukkah, the rabbinical ordinance of Hanukkah, is to not only abstain from evil, but to actually engage from our side of the street to kindle, to bring light and warmth and transform 
the darkness and coldness of evil into the warmth and beauty of light. In Samuel's 2, the verse states, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord does light my darkness. End quote. The verse states twice God's name, and it is the second time where God is waging our battle as God lights my darkness. This second name of God is the higher tetragrammaton in which God's name is one with Him. This is the power of the Hanukkah menorah to engage with the higher tetragrammaton, the essence of light of God in which God lights, transforms my darkness. This great revelation does not come through the 248 biblical commandments, nor does it come through the 365 biblical prohibitions. It comes from the rabbinical commandment of gratitude to kindle the Hanukkah menorah in response to God's waging our battle against evil. In closing, we mentioned earlier that the purpose of creation was for us to create an abode for God in the nether lowest world. Being that God wants us to create it for Him, therefore all that happens, even the miracles performed by God, God wants us to be part of making it happen. This great revelation in which God lights my darkness also has a reflection within our service to God, our part of making the miracle happen. It is the service of self-sacrifice, stepping out beyond our comfort zone of understanding and of self. Self-sacrifice does not only mean that we need to die for our faith in God. It also means to sacrifice the ego of self, to simply do what our sages direct us to do with simple faith and obedience. This is self-sacrifice. This opens us up to receive the higher name of God. This draws God lighting my darkness. Total transformation. Have a wonderful and happy Hanukkah.